0: Welcome to the Christchurch London Podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about the upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org.: uh, Just want you to know, I love this congregation very, very much, and um, while I'm not here most weeks, uh, I pray for you. Um, I believe God has a very exciting future for you. Uh, And I actually felt God speak to me for you during that little last bit of worship that I came uh, in for, I was at the Stockwell service before this, Um, and I feel um, that God is going to put upon you, and has put upon some of you already, a real heart for revival, uh, a move in this city and this nation, the like of which our nation has not seen for many generations. And I feel Jesus wants to promise you, for those of you who gather together and seek God for that, you will see it. And I want to speak into that uh, this morning. Uh, the passage I want to look at is probably the passage that has impacted my own life the most uh, over the last few years. And uh, therefore, it's probably led the, uh, uh, shaped the way that I've tried to lead the Sutton service with my wife, uh, Joy. And uh, earlier this year, back in March, we took um, our staff team away to Ashburn and Place for a couple of days. So we have our church retreat at the end of August. If you've not booked in, there are off-site tickets and day tickets still available. We would love to see you there. Uh, John and Ellie Mumford will be speaking here. oversee the Vineyard Network of Churches internationally. Uh, but we took our staff away and uh, they asked me to share a devotional and I felt I should share what has impacted my own life so much these past few years and it just led to a very unexpected kind of God encounter for us as a team and uh, on the back of that we just uh, kind of talked and just felt like maybe this is not just something for us as a staff maybe this is something for us as a church uh, as well And so this is something I'm speaking in all our congregations, because I feel uh, there's something in this from God for us. (laughs) I realize in saying all of this, I'm in danger of hyping expectations up for what follows uh, beyond what is due. This will be a mediocre talk, my friends, okay? But the content, I think, is actually really important. And so I want to encourage you to pay attention. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to Mark chapter 8. And uh, before we read together, uh, just a couple of um, bits of context. Firstly, if you read Mark's Gospel... Uh, it can often appear very kind of jumbled, like there's a miracle over here and a parable over there, Uh, there's a teaching moment with Jesus over here, then there's another miracle. It can seem fast-paced as a result, but a bit of a hodgepodge of stories put together. Uh, Actually, Mark uh, puts his different stories together very deliberately, often to make an overarching point. And it's one of those overarching points that we're going to be looking at Today. So, we're going to look at a number of different stories uh, together and see the link that is threaded through them. I also say the um, context of the verses that we are going to read uh, is that Jesus has just performed two amazing miracles. Uh, he has fed 5,000 people. And then he's fed 4,000 people. And people are wowed by what Jesus is doing. This is a deeply iconic miracle, very symbolic miracle. You remember uh, in the Old Testament when the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt and they're set free to live in the land of promise, the land of freedom. And on the journey through the wilderness, God gives them manna, bread from heaven. And here is Jesus doing it all over again. And it's in this context we read Mark chapter 8. And we're going to start at verse 11. I think there's another slide that has just verse 11 on it. So we'll go to that one first. And this is what we read. Uh, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. Uh, there is no shortage of comic irony in this verse. Why? Why? Because Jesus has just been doing amazing signs. He's fed 5,000 people, and then he's fed 4,000 people. And here are the disciples, here are the Pharisees coming and saying, oh, give us a sign, will you, Jesus? And we, the reader, are meant to think, what? Are you blind? I use that word deliberately, and we'll see why in a moment. It's like, what about what Jesus has just done? Is that not enough for you? Did you miss it? In other words, Jesus is doing amazing stuff. God is at work, and the Pharisees are totally blind to it. That's part one. Part two, we're going to read verse 15. Jesus is now not with the Pharisees, he's with the disciples, and he says this, Be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Let's pause again. What's yeast? Well, yeast is that tiny little organism in... Bread that affects the whole loaf and causes it to rise. And in this context, it represents what we've just read about. It represents the Pharisees' spiritual blindness, their faithlessness, their negativity, their critical spirit. And Jesus says, Guys, watch out that this does not affect you. What might that look like for us? Let me give you a few examples. I'm sure some of you have heard of the illusionist Darren Brown. And a number of years ago, he did a TV show where he wanted to show that our experience of the world is often shaped by our preconceived mindsets. And he took a load of people who were self-confessed down on themselves, negative, like, oh, nothing good ever happens to me, the world's against me, like people who uh, kind of were shaped like that. And he started putting good fortune in their path. You know, he would push a winning lottery ticket through their front door or leave loads of money on the side of the road as they're walking down the street. And the interesting thing is, as they secretly filmed these people, they missed everything. Winning lottery ticket through door, oh, I never win, straight in the bin. Amazing stuff is happening round about them, and they miss it completely. What might this look like in a church context? Well, let's just imagine for a moment that uh, Peter, magnificent Peter, was leading worship one Sunday, and it was the most amazing time of worship ever like people are weeping people are rejoicing like even people who don't believe in god are like wow god must be real imagine we have a time of worship like that and i come out of that time of worship saying things like oh i hate it when they sing those songs like i hate bridges in songs i want songs the way they used to be you know a simple chorus you sing thousands of times and it still has me i hate these bridges and there were key changes this morning i hate key changes like if i came out of a worship time like that with that kind of spirit You'd be like, what, Andy? What about what just happened? Did you not see what God was doing? Did you not experience his presence? Why are you focused on song choices and key changes when this is happening? Yeast of the Pharisees. Uh, When we started um, the Sutton service, kind of weekly meetings around about three and a bit years ago, uh, and I'll say more on this later, the first year was extraordinarily difficult. Uh, We had uh, pastoral issue after pastoral issue, like really deep stuff. uh, Death can't really fix death uh, problems from in, uh, in the lives of children in the community I remember once being on a tube journey with somebody else and staff and I said to them I'm not sure I can take another pastoral issue at which point my phone bleeped and it's another pastoral issue and it just felt really heavy and there were not many of us at all and it felt like you're sweating blood for no fruit and uh, a couple joined our service and I remember going for a drink with them and the guy actually said I don't know why you're planting the service stupid place to plant a church should be doing it over there uh, like you might as well close it, and any bit of faith I had left, it just, it just gone. Like, and I just felt like quitting. And I said, look, well, look, we are where we are. Could you help? And he looked at me and said, no. Like, He's in the church. I'm like, oh. and I just felt like quitting, like most days. And I remember once being at an early morning prayer meeting with uh, David and with Lars, and I was like, I don't know if this is going to survive. And it just felt very heavy and very oppressive. And if God was going to do anything. Like I was just totally blind to it. I just couldn't see it. In other words, here's the scary warning from these verses. is It is possible for you and I to be a disciple of Jesus and to be totally blind to what God is doing. You could be sitting in this service right now. You could have read your Bible and you could have prayed this morning. You could have sung all, all the songs and meant every word and you could be spiritually blind. I could be preaching this sermon to you right now, and I could be spiritually blind. This is a sober warning for all of us. Part one, Pharisees are blind. Give us a sign. What about what Jesus has just done? Jesus says, watch out. That doesn't affect you. Part three, back to the text. Mark 8, and we're going to read now from verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. It's the verse we've read. Be careful, Jesus warns, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, oh, it's because we have no bread. Aware of this, Jesus asked, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets then? Oh, they answered seven. He said, do you still not understand? Okay, let's pause again. Part one, Pharisees are blind. Part two, Jesus says, watch out, the blindness doesn't affect you. Part three, oh, it turns out they are blind after all. Jesus has just performed two amazing miracles. He's fed 5,000 people, and then he has fed 4,000 people. And if you, like me, wonder, why does this similar miracle happen twice? Well, put simply as possible, The first miracle happens in a Jewish region, and the second miracle happens in a Gentile region. And it turns out the number of leftovers is significant. Now, numbers are often significant in the Bible. Not always. We shouldn't read too much into them. But sometimes they are, and we know they are here because Jesus tells us. So when Jesus feeds the 5,000, there are 12 baskets of leftovers. This immediately brings to mind the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, this is Israel's long-promised Messiah, the God who fed the Israelites with bread from heaven in the wilderness. He's here again in the person of Jesus. This is who we've been waiting for. But then what nobody saw coming is Jesus goes to a Gentile region. They did not expect that. And the number of leftovers here is seven. Seven baskets. Now, seven is a sign in the Bible. It's a symbol of perfection or wholeness or completion. The earth was complete. It was whole. It was perfect in seven days. It comes up in John's Gospel Uh, quite a lot. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. His work is only complete. It is only whole when he has come to feed everybody. Jesus is not just Israel's long-promised Messiah. He is the savior of the whole world. And the disciples miss it completely. And Jesus calls them on it. He actually says in verse 18, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? In other words, they're not just blind, they're deaf as well. Pharisees are blind. Watch out, guys. It can affect you. Oh, it turns out they are blind. I want to illustrate this in a quirky way just to lighten the mood. I want to show you a a 20-second video. Uh, I used this years ago in church, and most of you weren't around then, so you probably won't have seen it. But if you have seen it, don't give away the answer. Uh, You're about to watch uh, two teams of basketball players throw around a basketball. There's a team with white T-shirts and a team with black T-shirts. And your job is to count the number of passes the team in white t-shirts make. White t-shirts. And just to say this is more tricky than it looks, I did this on two of my three kids and they both got it wrong. Okay? White t-shirts. Let's play the video test now. Of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. Okay, yeah, let's just pause it there. Who knows the answer? Who thinks they counted? 14, wrong. 16, wrong. 13, wrong. 15, right. Fourth time. Uh, just to say, in Sutton we got it first time. Just to say. Now, here's the real question. Hands up if you saw the monkey. It's usually about 50%. That, I mean, I, I always. This amazes me. Let's just let's just play. Let's just play the video back. But just keep, keep your hands up if you if you saw the monkey. If someone has their hands down, there is yeast in this room, my friends. May God have mercy on your souls, okay? Here we go. There he is. And half of you missed it completely. There is life and power right before your eyes, and you missed it. Yeast of the Pharisees, my friends. And it is alive and well today. So, where have we come so far? Pharisees blind. Give us a sign. What? Jesus, watch out, this to affect you. Oh, it turns out they have eyes but fail to see. They have ears but fail to hear. Back to the passage, we're up to verse 22. We read this. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. Let's pause again. Pharisees are blind. Jesus says, watch out, that blindness doesn't affect you. Oh, it turns out they are blind after all. And now Jesus meets a blind man. You can see how Mark is beginning to join all these stories together. And the first thing that Jesus does is really interesting. He takes the blind man by the hand, and we're told he leads him, verse 23, outside of the village. Why would Jesus do this? Here's the reason. It's because the village in question, verse 22, is a place called Bethsaida. Bethsaida is a village in the Gospels that is famed for its spiritual blindness. It's like a village that is soaked in the yeast of the Pharisees. In fact, in both Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, Jesus curses Bethsaida. It's a big deal when Jesus curses you. He says, woe to you, Bethsaida. Why? Because amazing miracles were performed in your midst and you missed God at work amongst you. Jesus is doing amazing stuff and the whole village misses it. And something about this spiritual blindness doesn't seem to be conducive to the power of God being at work. Well, we read this, and this verse is always a mystery, Mark chapter 6 and verse 5. It says, because of their unbelief, Jesus, Jesus, could not do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. So the first thing Jesus does when he meets this blind man is like, we have to get you out of this atmosphere of unbelief. Like, We need to get you as far away from this as possible. Back to the passage Verse 23, and now outside the village, when Jesus had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, oh, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Let's pause again. Uh, this, in my opinion, is the most interesting miracle in all of the Gospels. Why? Because Jesus needs two ghosts helping a blind man to see. First, oh, I see people walking around like trees. Jesus prays again, and only then can he see. Why does Jesus need two attempts? Well, to fully understand this, remember Mark's linking all these stories together, we need to read what comes next. What comes next? Back to the passage, Mark 8, and we're told this. Jesus says to the disciples, who do people say I am? And the disciples respond. They say, well, some say John the Baptist. Others think you're Elijah, back from the dead. And Jesus cuts in. He says, yes, but guys, but what about you? And Peter pipes up and he says this, you are the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the Savior of the world. Now, remember just a few verses earlier, Jesus has a go at them. Do you have eyes but fail to see? Like these two amazing miracles, and they somehow missed it. Now they see clearly. Oh, you're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for. In other words, what has happened to the blind man physically has now happened to the disciples spiritually. That's why all these different stories are joined together. Now, that's interesting. But what does it mean for us today? Here's what I think it means for us. Here's what I think it means for you. I I believe with all my heart that Jesus is alive and at work today. I believe he loves you. He's called you. I believe he has chosen you. I believe you have a future, and it is altogether good. Because he is a loving father. Ephesians tells us there are good works prepared in advance for you to do. I believe the book. That the story says Jesus hes not coming back one day to rescue a piddlingly little group of people on the brink of extinction. He is coming back for a beautiful bride and for a glorious church. That's our hope. We just have to watch out for the yeast. We have to watch out that we don't miss God at work. You could gather a really cool crowd here, and you could miss God. You've got to watch out for the yeast. How do you watch out for the yeast? You have to do three things. Number one, you have to get out of the village. Number two, you have to get in front of Jesus and ask Him to help you see. And number three, you have to make a decision. I am not going back to the village. Just like Jesus told this man, "Don't go back to the village." What does that look like? I want to give you a few examples. The first is from my own life. Uh, as I said earlier, um, the first year of uh, doing weekly services in Sutton was really tough. It felt heavy. It felt oppressive. And God kind of brought uh, Joy and I to the end of ourselves. And it uh, felt like quitting. Felt like is this service even going to survive? And um, I remember this kind of like, fatigue and negativity. It began to seep into all of life. I remember um, like the kind of attitude that you know, Joy would be like, wow, it's a bank holiday weekend this weekend. Yay. And I'd be like, oh, it'll probably rain. You ever had a week like that or a season like that? And I remember once I said something, and I can't remember what, and I just caught the look on Joy's face. I'm like, this is affecting those I love. I cannot live this way, and I cannot lead this way. And I went off to uh, the local woods to walk and pray. I'm like, I've got to sort myself out. And it started to rain, which felt thoroughly appropriate for my mood. And it's difficult to put into words what happened other than Jesus met me in the most tender way. And I'd not even been reading Mark 8, but it's like he downloaded it into my soul. And he said, Andy, you've been living in the village. I've been at work and you've missed it. I had to repent. I had to say, sorry God, I've forgotten the story of the book. You're alive and at work, and I've been blind to it. And I made a decision in that moment. I am not going back to the village. Like, even if spiritual sight comes like it does for this blind man, like, oh, I see a bit, but not clearly. I'm going to go to God again. I want to see. And I went home, and I found Joy, and I said, Joy, I'm sorry. I've been living in the village been affecting you, and it's got to change, and I'm sorry. And bless Joy. She was like, well, we'll see, shall we? <laughs> I was like, great. Thanks. Thanks, Joy. And around about three weeks later, something happened in our community, and I don't even remember what it was. That shows it can't have been that bad. It was the kind of thing that saps the soul, I don't know, some good friends moving out of London. I don't know what it was. And this time, the roles were reversed. And this time, it was Joy that was like, oh, what's the point? Should we give up? This is so hard. And as she was talking this way, I remember like, any faith in life was being drenched and like leeched from my soul. And I remember stopping the conversation and I pointed at Joy and I said, Joy, I am not going back to the village. Now, A little bit of pastoral advice here, how you say this kind of thing matters in a marriage. (laughs) Joy told me about that too. Uh, There we go. But actually it was a marker. It's like, hang on. Circumstances are not going to shape what's going on in here. Jesus will shape what's going on in here. And if anything has shaped the way that Joy and I have tried to lead our Sutton community over the last three years, it would be this. Yes, there is trouble in the world, but take heart, he has overcome the world. And breakthrough for us, it came very slowly. There was a couple of stories that you could easily miss. In fact, I remember this week I was at Sports Day, and I sat next to a single mum, who was the first person to come to faith in our community when it was just really tough. And she said to me, Andy, my life's changed. I've been drug free for two years. You are my family now. Everything is different. I was like, oh, yeah. Jesus is alive and at work. Uh, We've had a year of the most extraordinary growth. I mean, it really has been just quite remarkable, people meeting Jesus in remarkable ways. And I remember just um, about 10 days ago, I was like, well, this has got to end sometime, hasn't it? Well, last Saturday, I was at a big event for Hong Kongers in the local area, and a woman I've met once in my life, about four or five years ago, she stopped me and she said, I've got a prophetic word for you. God says to you, grow and groan. God says to you, you're going to keep on growing and you're going to give birth. There's more for you. And I'm like, oh, there's more. Maybe the yeast has got back in. Oh God, I want to see. Can I ask you a question, Christchurch London Central Service? Do you want to see? Do you really want to see? You know, right now, I think it is one of the most depressing moments in the recent history of the Western church. The headlines tell us that decline is everywhere. I am weary of reading yet another story about a Christian leader that has done something that they should not have done. Many of the stories just sap the life from your soul horrific. You know, when you hear repeated stories like that, we have a choice. Am I going to get negative and cynical and, oh, is the church good for anything? Or am I going to get before God and say, no, God, I want to see. I want your power and I want your life. Well, let me try and put it a different way. You know, if you're like me, there is a gap between what you read in the scriptures and your life today. I mean, Jesus promises John's gospel, anyone who follows him will see greater things than even Jesus saw. Is that the life we've been living this year? Is this community marked by salvation and miracles? and God's powerful presence breaking into the lives of those who don't know him? If that's not the case, then we have a choice. Am I going to get negative and cynical and, oh, we're doomed? Or am I going to get before God and say, oh, God, I want to see? Let me put it a different way. I put into Google movies that portray the future. Here's some of what I found. Put the slide up. Don't those images fill your hearts with joy about what's to come? I mean, guys, these are the stories we tell ourselves. This washes over us every single day. I mean, read the titles, As We Fall, Daylight's End, Doomed, And this is not just the stories we tell ourselves. Listen to any political commentator. Listen to any stand-up comedian. Whatever the future holds, we know it's bad. And this cynicism, we're soaked in it in our culture, day in, day out. Am I going to be shaped by this or by the story of God? Am I going to be like, oh, this winter's going to be so hard? Well, yes, it might be. But in the darkness, the light shines even brighter. It could be the most wonderful opportunity for the church. And so am I going to live my life before God, cynical and negative, or am I going to come to God and say, no, I want to see? You know, when I said earlier, I wonder if God is giving this community a heart for revival. Just imagine, and we aren't going to do this because that would be very manipulative, but just imagine I said, we're going to gather a group this week to pray for revival. What happens in here? Is it, oh, I've heard that before. That'll never work. I've been to those before and nothing's happened. Or will it be, oh, I long for this. I believe in prayer. Jesus is alive today. Let's go. Because if it's the former, it's just a little sign maybe there's yeast in your soul that you needs dealing with. If you want to see, what do you have to do? Number one, get out of the village. This is what the Bible calls repentance. If you recognize cynicism and negativity in your spirit, just say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to live that way. You know, you need to know, for this service and for this church, I would rather 10 people living outside of the village than 10,000 living in Bethsaida. Because you can draw a huge crowd and it looks great, but you miss Jesus. And I don't want to miss Jesus. So it starts with getting before Jesus and saying, I don't want to live like that anymore. I've got to get out. Number two, you get before Jesus and say, I want to see. I want to encourage you. Tell him what you want to see. Where do you want to see breakthrough? Did any of you have dreams that you used to have and you've just lost them? You stopped believing them? You think, oh, God couldn't do that anymore. I've missed it. Tell him you want to see again. Bring to him the names of people you want to see their lives transformed. The workplaces you want to see look different. The kind of sense of God's power and breakthrough that you long for in him. Tell him what you want to see. And then number three, just make a decision. I'm not going back. What does that look like? Like for me, it's involved things like, you know what? The first thing, first thing that happens in the morning, I'm not going to check emails. I'm going to immerse myself in the story of God. That's where the day starts. Like evening comes. You know, before I get to Netflix, that's great. But let's fill my mind and soak my spirit in the story of God. It means when bad stuff happens, remind, first thing I do, he's stronger. He's got this. It's okay. And Living with that resolution in here. I I really believe with all my heart that Jesus is going to move in power in our city. I just believe it. Almost like I can see it. and I want to live that way before him. You know, I believe some of the stuff we've seen in Sutton over the last 12 months, I mean, it's totally beyond anything I would have dreamed of three years ago I don't I don't believe it's the end yet I believe there's more and I believe there's more for you and I feel like I want to charge you in God as a community live with your eyes open and don't let go of God until you see clearly I'm going to pray for you in a minute and some of you it'll be like spiritual sight comes like physical sight I see people walking around like trees and you'll be tempted in that moment to say it's not worked and walk away Don't let go of Jesus. Jesus needs two goes for this blind man. Maybe he needs two goes or more with us. But Jesus has spiritual sight for you. And I'd like to pray for that right now. Can I ask you to stand and can I invite the band up? Before we worship, I just want to leave a moment of quiet, and this is for you and Jesus right now. And first up is just a moment of quiet for anybody who needs to say to Jesus, I'm sorry. If you know that you've been shaped by the cynicism of the age in which we live, it's time to get out of the village. you know you're great at spotting problems and worrying about them and not so great at spotting God's life and power, it's time to get out of the village. Now, let's just take a moment just to imagine in your mind's eye that you are standing before Jesus. In your heart now, tell him what you'd love to see. Tell him what you'd love to see that you do not see right now. Tell him about your disappointments. I thought it would be different, Jesus. Tell him about your hurts. Tell him where you're scared of believing him in case you get disappointed again. Tell him where you'd love to see breakthrough. Tell him in whose life you'd love to see breakthrough. Come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Father, we sang it earlier revival. We want to see your kingdom here. We want to see your kingdom here. We don't see it clearly yet. It's people walking around like trees meet us again. Give us sight. Help us to see. I want to ask now that cynicism and negativity would go in Jesus' name. I want to pray mindsets that miss God would be broken. And we would live our lives before you, asking God help us to see. May the spirit of Bethsaida be broken in Jesus' name. And may we be a people who live outside the village, before our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, asking that we might see more and more and more. Send revival, I pray. Give us a harvest. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. We ask now, Lord of the harvest, give us the harvest that we long for in our spirits, I pray. We pray for breakthrough. We pray for miracle power. We pray that we would be a people who pursue you until we lay hold of what you've put into our hearts. I want to pray that you would begin to light a fire in this community that sweeps across this city, the like of which we've not seen in generations in our nation. That you would turn the hearts of thousands upon thousands to you. Come, Spirit of God. We bring to you our fragile faith, and we ask, breathe on it again, I pray. And I pray for this community, for moments of breakthrough. Like In my friend's life three years ago, it was just a moment, and we could have missed it. I pray we'd see breakthrough even this week. I pray it would be a taste of the harvest that's to come. I pray that Holy Spirit gifting would be released afresh in this room right now. We're told to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. We eagerly desire them in God now. We come to you. We cry to you. We long for you. And as we worship you now, I ask, intensify your presence amongst us. May we walk metaphorically speaking, further and further away from Bethsaida and closer and closer to you. And may sight come with increasing clarity, with increasing power, that we leave this morning believing you for more than we believe coming in. Come, Spirit of God. Give us a taste now, I ask, as we worship in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship Jesus together.